Assalamu alaikum, greetings and peace, loved ones. I pray you're well wherever you may be in the universe. This is Baraka Blue, and you are tuned in to Path and Present. Um, before I introduce the guest for this week's podcast, I want to let everybody know that I have some tour dates. Um, I am going to be in Lebanon in September, September 11th through 12th. I'm going to be in the United Kingdom after that from the 12th to the 24th. Um, And then um, hopefully I'll be in Germany after that. We're still working on some of the dates and nailing some of that down. So um, all the specific dates and cities are on my Facebook. Uh, You can check that out, Barker Blue on Facebook. And... um, yeah, we're looking to book a few more cities and maybe a few more countries. There's a few talks in the work. In the work. So if you're interested in bringing us out and you're in Europe, um, just send us an email, connect at barcablue.com. And we look forward to seeing all our loved ones in Europe and the UK and the Middle East and Beirut. Cool. So this week's podcast is with Antar Hanif. Antar is a photographer, and he's currently in Southeast Asia shooting some travel photography, and he came and visited, and I met him here in Bali, Indonesia, and we had a a good conversation. We spent a few days together, and uh, I taught him how to ride a motorbike, (laughs) which is the mode of transportation in this part of the world, and he did a great job. In fact, he never fell once. He had some close calls, but never fell once, which is more than I can say of my first week learning. I remember Ennis Cannon, my DJ, my brother, he taught me to learn in Bali um, about three, four years ago when we were on tour in Indonesia. And uh, between tour dates, we came to Bali to just hang out and, and work on music and, uh, He's a longtime motorcycle rider, so he was a pro with it. But basically, <laughs> out here on a motorbike, it's sink or swim because there's like thousands of cars and bikes racing by at all times. So basically, I hopped on it, learned what things do. That's a brake. That's an accelerate. And then it's like, all right, go on a super busy street. And I was like, well... You either sink or you swim right now. And luckily I swam. I almost sunk. I fell into a ditch my second or third day, which uh, wasn't pretty. It was because I was going through cars, weaving through cars, which is something that you do commonly there. And there's like holes in the side of the road. And because it was so small and I tried to hit brake but accidentally hit accelerate because I... I was still learning. I basically just accelerated into a ditch and uh, got covered in some funky ditch fluid. But luckily, I didn't hurt myself. I mean, easily could have. But I just scraped up my leg um, and I was all right. But Antar had better luck than me or more skill than me, I should say. And he did he did it like a pro, and we mobbed all over the island. So 
It was fun. It was fun to teach him. Um, so yeah, man, he's a great photographer, and he has a lot of interesting things to say about the art of f- photography and how um, looking through the lens affects the way you look through the wor- uh, look through your own eye at the world. So we talked a lot about that. Cool. So I'll give the uh, podcast to you without further ado, let you listen. But before I do, I want to say if you could support the podcast, please do so by subscribing on iTunes, um, rating, liking on iTunes. That helps it go up in the charts. And then if you have the ability to give financially, um, even a dollar or five dollars or anything, um, that's great. That helps us to stay ad-free and helps us to do this on a consistent basis. Um, and you can do so through patreon.com slash path and present. And the link is on our uh, SoundCloud. Um, and that helps, especially now, because one of our earliest and biggest supporters named Hala, support, uh, much love to Hala. Um, she has been, she's one of the main reasons that I did this, actually. Like, she came from the jump. Um, and supported, and has the whole time, which we've been doing this like almost two years now, a year and a half. But anyway, she recently moved to Mauritania, which is her homeland, and she's doing some aid work and some service. So she said, I'm no longer in the financial position to give. So I said, it's all right. Um, so any anyway, um, if anybody else wants to pick up the slack, it's all love. And shout out to Hala. Yeah. Sending her our du'as as we speak. Cool. Here's Anti Hanif. One love. They'll get you. Bismillah. So, uh, we're here in Bali. I'm with Antar Hanif, aka I am Shooter. Man, I'm the legend. The man, the myth, <laughs> the legend. Um, alhamdulillah, it's good to have you, good to host you since I've uh, had you in the warehouse. Rest in peace, long live the warehouse. You know, for those that don't know, we had a dope artist live workspace in Oakland, California, 1919 Market Street. Um, it was a very powerful, beautiful, creative space, sometimes called the Barzakh which means the intermediary realm, the realm between uh, two different worlds. And it felt like that. It was a beautiful space, a huge space in an old warehouse, and many powerful, beautiful artists lived there, um, including Amir Suleiman, Mark Gonzalez, uh, Ahlam, Abdul Jalil, uh, Zainab Saeed, myself, Let's see, Brother Ali, Angelique, 23 Tribes, uh, and many others. And we just always had gatherings. We had uh, iftars. We had, you know, jam sessions. We recorded songs there. Um, It was a creatively powerful space. And just like an organic community hub in the Bay Area, there was no, you know, advertising there was no budget it was just people opening their space you know what i mean and uh the city shut it down about a year and a half ago 
So it no longer is a physical location. They actually tore down the building, bro. Last time I was in Oakland, I drove by, and it's like they destroyed, they gutted the whole building. But anyway, you, you used to come through when you were in the Bay and stay with us, stay on our couch. So it's good to host you again here in Bali, Indonesia. Alhamdulillah. <laughs> Alhamdulillah. It's, uh, uh, similar vibes, just more mosquitoes. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, appreciate you uh, having me. No doubt. Let me come through. So I know you've been traveling a lot. I want to get into that and hearing your insights on you know, just traveling and what that does for you, what that does to you. But first, um, I want to talk about your art, photography, because we were walking on the beach the other day when you first arrived, and you mentioned that you don't like to have your camera with you the first few days when you arrive in a place. You like to just take it in and observe it. And then you mentioned about the tones and the, the like, Subtleties, for instance, you mentioned when you're in India um, that you put a specific, you kind of like expose the pictures in a specific way because of like the level of dust in the air and you made them warmer, essentially, if I remember correctly. And uh, it just got me thinking about the fact that like whatever we devote ourselves to will alter the way we experience the world. Like, for instance, like I mentioned to you, whenever I'm in like a restaurant or a cafe or a freaking grocery store or whatever, and there's music on, I can't not hear the lyrics. And I'm like totally tuned into the lyrics, what's being said. If there's a powerful lyric, if there's a weak lyric, like I can't tune it out. You know what I mean? And other people like, I think about my homie Abdul Malik was a producer and so he's always like sampling records but I remember like he was in my apartment one day and I like set down a glass mm-hmm. on the table and he was like hey hold on, hold on do that again do that again and he was like boom he was like oh all right and he took so he took the glass and he's like dropping it in various ways and then he like gets out his his laptop and his mic and he's like I gotta record this I'm about to sample it. you know what I mean like he so he's here's the world as a potential beat, you know what I mean? Like sampling parts. So you were sharing about how looking through a lens as a photographer alters the way you see the world, mm-hmm. even when there is not a lens except mm-hmm. for your eye. So I'd like to hear more about that. Uh, yeah, so uh, exactly, exactly. It's a, um, you know, thinking about that, I mean, it's interesting that the, you know, I feel like artistry or creativity is kind of this ability to take the ordinary and make it extraordinary. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we, we look at things and we kind of pass them every day. And it's not that we necessarily take them for granted, but we just, it's just, it is what it is to us. You know, like, this is that. You know, we might not consider it a piece of art. We might not consider it special. Um, but, uh, and that gets into, you know, just, leaving outside of your environment, seeing other environments, Mm. it opens up kind of your mindset and it exposes you to different things. And so uh, by, by, um, by seeing other people's worlds or seeing other worlds or other places and other spaces, one, you're able to almost appreciate the ordinary in those spaces. And then hopefully 
out of that, you come back to your own space and you're able to see your own space with through kind of a new lens. Um, and that kind of informs, I guess, the work that I do or the way that I kind of take pictures. And so for to me, taking a photograph is is really a physical manifestation of something that I saw. And so taking the picture, I mean, I have, I'm a pretty technical person. And so take, physically taking the picture is really not that difficult in the overall scheme of things. Uh, for the most part, the camera does all the work. So mm-hmm. just kind of push the button. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not the 1930s, you know, where you got to do all this extra stuff and you got to kind of guess. You push the button, you don't like it, you look at the back, you delete it, and you, or you take another one. And you just, so you can pretty much kind of wing it and come out with something pretty cool, mm-hmm. uh, you know, or at least okay for the most part. But, you know, to train your eyes to see the world or to really have a vision or to interpret that through that type of device is a much harder, harder thing to do. So in a way, I guess it's when I enter into a place, I mean, every place is different. Every place has some type of uniqueness to it, even if it's the same. Um, so I, I kind of try to see the world. I try to see that place first. You know, so I don't just try to start off taking pictures of it because I just try to live in it. I try to listen to the sounds, look at what the people are doing, and like try to see what's unique about this space. Is it the sky? Is it, you know, is it that? I mean, I've learned so much being, I guess, being in Bali, you know, even on the beach, you know, like, so we're walking down the beach we were talking about and, you know, like I'm just taking in all the, all the, the, the nuances. Like one of the aspects, I look at the, the sand and I'm like, the sand looks black, mm-hmm. you know, like this is. Yeah. This is a different type of sand. And then I kind of get closer to it and I kind of look at it and, you know, then you start telling me about it and why it's that way. And, you know, but when most people think of a beach, they typically think of either, you know, like brighter sand or white sand or lighter sand. Mm-hmm. And so, but that's a, that changes the way the landscape looks. So the sun's coming down, it's this darker sand, it's kind of this richer sand. So it looks like dirt, but it's not dirt because there's mixed and there's white specks because there's shells in it, mm-hmm. you know. And then, you know, you've got the sun coming down and then it's overcast or a little overcast. And so, you know, when the sun comes through clouds in the sunset, it changes the color of the sun uh, at sunset. And then there's people on the beach and there's cliffs and there's water coming in and it's coming in and it's coming out. And, um, you know, and then even here you might have people burning stuff. So there's smoke in the air. And so I feel like I just kind of need to live in a place a bit before because I'm not trying to. In a way, some people take photos as they are. You know, like I'm not a photo, I'm not a journalist. I'm not a photojournalist. I'm not, I'm not in Baghdad, you know, trying to be impartial per se to right. the, you know, to, to the world where it's like, okay, you know, like there was a kid that was standing there and I'm not trying to add any type of extraness to it or any type mm. of flair. You know, yeah, a lot of people are like trying to tell a story, right? They're using their, their photo to like tell a story in a narrative, you know, or even, well, it's, you know, because like a journalist is trying not to tell, like they're trying not to tell a story. Mm. They're trying to almost capture it as it is. Mm. And then, you know, you kind of take from that as it is, you know, a photojournalist mm. anyway. You know, but for me, I'm trying to show you as I see it. And a lot of times that's not how it looks. You snap a photo, I look at it, I'm like, that's not how I felt when I stood there, right. you know, the waves or this. And so I'm trying to capture that. And so to capture it, I have to exist in it. because And so that gets into... You know, this idea of like, okay, kind of what is a camera? And so for the most part, you know, like we're human beings. And in that, you know, we've got all these senses. We've got smell. We've got, you know, hearing and that. And it really kind of informs how we see a place. You know, that's why, you know, people, oh, you're parking your car, you turn your radio down. It's like, like, how does that affect your vision? But it, mm-hmm. it affects kind of your awareness <laughs> of the space, right? 
You know, like, hold up, I got to sure. be quiet, man. Like, I got to focus. Like, or you, know? you could even say the way, you know, certain people who are, you know, are impaired in specific function, for instance, they, they can't hear as well, you know, they tend to be able to have other things heightened. Exactly. Or, you know, the, the example that we see, like, time and time again is the people that can't see that well. They're, they can hear incredibly well. They're, you know, so many great musicians, exactly. for instance. And actually, I heard in... Uh, in, in Egypt and in Azhar, traditionally, there was a whole like, I believe it was in Azhar, there was a whole specific department for the blind, Quran reciters, because it was understood that they were, their memory is going to be better. They're going to be able to understand the nuance of like the the actual science of recitation, mm-hmm. and so you know because they're not necessarily going to be able to be out doing certain other functions and labors and it's more difficult for them to you know plow the field or have a shop but yo they can easily memorize quran and and then and be these repositories and so have a role in the society yeah that's uh, uh exactly i mean so it kind of um with so yes yeah, so, so with that kind of being said you've got this uh um you, you, the way we take in the world is in, in one particular way, but a camera in and of itself is extremely limiting, you know? Mm-hmm. So even if you look at film, you know, the movements and dolly movements and, you know, like, what are, what are dolly movements even for? I mean, mm-hmm. because the camera can't, like, like, our eyes are constantly panning and scanning across mm-hmm. a scene, racking focus and doing stuff. So we take in this encompassing view of, of a thing. So a camera, like I said, it's a, it's a limited object. And so what we're doing is we're taking a three-dimensional world, right, kind of seen as a... Th- experienced really because mm-hmm. we don't see it mm-hmm. experience as a three-dimensional object and we're trying to narrow it through a two-dimensional plane and a two-dimensional object to then be viewed by three-dimensional beings and to somehow and to simulate that three-dimensional reality yeah, yeah like what did that i look at this photograph and what did it feel like what did it sound like and smell like to be there right and so to do that at least for me is that i have to then be able to process the world as a three-dimensional being object and but then distill that through two dimensional eyes. I have to almost limit my vision to the point where I'm rejecting other things that I know the camera won't see. So I'm like, I'm looking at a pillow right now, but I'm looking at it, but I'm not really like moving left to right. Like I know that this lens is going to be that wide, this far, right? Mm-hmm. You know, um, and then this other lens is going to be right here. So I can almost take pictures without ever having the camera up. So now it's just a matter of is this device going to match what it, what I kind of see in my head? So, um, you know, and then going to different places, I feel like they all have a character. They all have almost like an essence to them, mm-hmm. you know, from the people. And, you know, so you places kind of, have a personality. Exactly. You know, and so I'm trying to, I'm trying to capture the personality of a, of a city And India was like an interesting kind of spot because it was so dusty that just all the light had this, it wasn't even a hate to describe it just even at night. The cars coming through and the people and then just in the colors in India, like, mm-hmm. you know, there are like spices, you know, there's so it's like everything is like these saffrons and these and this turmeric and mm-hmm. right. So these yellows and these mm-hmm. oranges and these reds and this, you know, and it's kind of like a like a dusty. And so you'll notice that and then the people and the modes of transportation. And so I just kind of kick it with the people. I just walk around. People walk this way. They catch the train. I see how people do, how they sit. You know how they're working, and so it had a whole vibe. So when I put, so it felt warm to me in general. And so when I would, uh, so when I took the photos, I tried to 
invoke what that felt like to be there. Um, yeah, I like what you said about feeling. Um, you know, it's, and, and things feel a specific way. And it's interesting, like, you know, when we come into a room, there's so many things that we see, but we don't see. Like, we see, but we're not conscious of. And at any given time, it's, it's natural. It's like your brain filters certain things because there's too much input. Like, if you're looking at anything, any direction... You know, like right now we're in this villa and there's like couches, tables, there's like all these trees over there, flowers. I mean, there's pots, there's, you know, uh, paintings on the wall, books on the shelf. Like you can't focus on all that thing. So your brain like filters into what's important. What are we doing right now? So we're having a conversation. So like in a certain sense, you're in focus and everything else is like soft focus. But uh, with a camera, it's not like that. I mean, sometimes you might not notice something, but then you take a picture and you're like, oh, I didn't even realize that was in the exactly. frame. Yeah. And, and it's, what's, what's trippy is that even the method of it, so like even a, a still photograph versus, let's say, moving pictures, is that in a moving picture, the kind of the, the, aggregate, the aggregate whole can make up for the insufficiencies in the, in the immediate. But in a still photograph, you're really capturing a moment in time. And so there, you'll notice something in a still photograph, and you're like, huh, like, that you won't notice in real life, that you won't notice because the picture never changes. So you, you get a picture, you put it up on the wall, you might stare at it for years. And then you might be like, huh, and one day you notice something that wasn't there or another thing. So it's just almost there's this level of, and then the picture changes depending upon how you change. You mm-hmm. change and you start to see it different. You have to understand different things. And so it's a, it's a snapshot, but it's a, it's a limiting snapshot because it tells a part of a story, but not the whole story. You know, one person can take a photograph, and that's what's wonderful. Like one person can take a photograph one way, and another can take another way. And a lot of it just has to be with how they see the world. Um, mm-hmm. There was a photographer. Um, man, I don't remember. I don't know why I can't remember what his name is, but he's a commercial photographer. And a lot of his work, all his work is almost is just desaturated and super contrasty. And you know, when he talks about it, it's because he's he's partially colorblind. So for him, vibrant colors don't have the same effect. Like you know, it's like he can't really see it anyway. So he desaturates a lot of his stuff to try to make them more consistent. And then he likes to contrast it because those are the things he notices. You know, or another photographer friend of mine. One day he was working on his images, and I said, "Yo, why is everything you like? Why is all your stuff has like this greenish cast to it?" And uh, he was like, huh? You know, like it has like a greenish cast to it, you know? And so then he ends up telling me that like there's certain colors he has difficulty seeing, like reds and such and such. So I'm like, okay, so you actually don't notice that that has a greenish, a greenish tint to it. Or, you know, so this like for me, like a part of my work is a certain way. Like I don't like out of focus images, like not sharp because I have really good vision. So it makes me feel like I'm like I'm losing my sight. So if I see an image and it's soft, like it just bothers me. So it's like I can't, you know, or uh, I did this test and I have like perfect color vision, you know, so like I can detect, you know, like that color is not the same as that color. If it's off, it bothers me. And so there's a, uh, you know, so all these things kind of inform what you're doing. But back to like, like I said, when I'm in a place, I don't like to just pull the camera out because once I pull the camera out, when it changes how people behave, mm-hmm. changes how, you know, I'm trying to just observe first. And then I kind of know what I'm looking for. There's a vibe I'm going for. And I know what to take or what not to take or, you know, 
how I want to capture the place as a whole through either a collection of images or kind of one. And that's really, you know, I'm just looking for something. I'm just looking for something that's inspiring or unique or just kind of tells that story. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting what you're saying um, about like how taking out a camera can alter things because all of a sudden when we become conscious, like, oh, there's a camera. Oh, I'm on film. Oh, I. all of a sudden there's this natural inclination to be unnatural or like you try to be natural, but you're, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, and it's interesting. Like I always think about one of my favorite art forms is comedy because it's, you know, on one level it's just because it's so similar to like spoken word poetry Mm -hmm. because it's just like getting up on stage. There's nothing but you and a mic. You don't even need a mic necessarily and the crowd. And you know, it's very easy to fail in that situation. Like it's it's one thing because I also perform, you know, with music or with a DJ. And like, if it's that, then people don't really have to. A lot of people don't even listen to what I say because like certain people are just musical. Like there's certain people that just hear the lyrics dominant. Other people they hear the music, and it's other people certain frequencies of the music. Like some people just bass. Other people it's the more high part. Some people it's drums. You know. So point being is. When it's just you and your voice and the mic and the crowd, there's something super intense about it. Um, but even still, it's not as intense as being a comedian. Because if I do a poem and people are like, you know, listening quietly, and then, you know, people are generally going to be cool, polite to a certain extent. You they'll know they'll pretend mean? to like it. Saying. <laughs> or to get it exactly, <laughs> exactly. Don't pretend but to get it. <laughs> if if you're telling a joke, you're gonna know if it went over well or yeah. not. Like, there's no nobody's fake laughing <laughs> for your benefit. <laughs> no, you know, what I mean? people might be clapping yeah, for your benefit. Not, nobody's fake laughing. So it's like this really intense art form. Um, you know, I don't even remember why I brought that up, but. <laughs> Something about comedy. Um, <laughs> it, was, um, it, was, it was connected to bringing the camera out. When you bring the camera out, it kind of changes the essence yes, of people. Yes, that's what it is. Yeah. So, like, you know, I mean, growing up, right, you know pretty soon, like, who's the funny kid on your block or in your neighborhood or in your class, right? It's the class clown. Oh, there's just certain kids that are just funnier than everyone. Everything they say makes you laugh. And, you know, you would assume that, look, all you have to do is just be you and you could have a career in this, you know, but the thing is, is go on stage and try to be the natural you. And you know what I mean? It takes years actually to learn how to be the natural you as you are without having to think about it. It's just like that. All of a sudden when a mic is on, when you're in front of people, we have to train ourselves to be natural again. To not, to almost not, not panic. Right. You know, to, to not try to... To not be self-conscious, really. You know, like, these people are paying attention to what I'm saying. How am I saying? And you start you start thinking about it. You know, what what am I doing? And, you know, and I mean, the camera definitely does that, to, especially when you're traveling a different place. The moment you pull it out, people always feel this imp- implication to want to pose, to mm-hmm. look at you and smile. And not even just in a, like, I'm still doing what I'm doing. I recognize you. Hey, what's up? But like a, you know, like they feel like they have to perform. Yeah. The camera comes out. They feel like I gotta perform. Yeah, yeah, like, what, yeah. like you know, what do you want me to do? And I'm like, I don't want you to do anything. Yeah, and I noticed. Like, I was on tour in in the U 
UK, it was the Monster Rajah Haj. It was a great honor. And uh, there was this photographer there that was like following the tour. And he told me like after a few days, he's like, because, you know, every there's all a lot of group photos. So, you know, in a group photo. And he was just telling me, he goes, you lean. In a group photo, you lean in. He goes, just stand up straight. I was like, I, I didn't even realize that. And then I looked back at a bunch of photos he took. And I was like, sure enough, I was leaning in to the group unconsciously. You know what I mean? Like, hey, we're all here together. <laughs> and so then I was like, dang, I got to like not lean. But, you know, we do like subconscious things. And the other thing that I think about, like, one thing I really don't like is, uh, like, I love candid photos. Mm-hmm. And so the phenomenon of just smiling in a photo, like a fake smile, like, it really bothers me. One of the deepest things, if you look at old photos, like, look at old photos of, like, like indigenous, like, chiefs, like, black elk mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Like, well, not only the indigenous people, First Nations, but anyone, like, no one smiled in those mm-hmm. first, like, it just wasn't a thing. And, like, there was a certain, like, the people were regal. Like, you could even say somber to a certain extent, but more just, like, regal. And then at some point, this idea, like, everyone should be smiling, like, develops. Like, where does that come in? It's so weird. I mean, I think some of that is attached to just the nature of how photography has changed and what is a photograph. And so you go back, kind of historically speaking, you know, like, what is that process? You've got a guy showing up with a big, big tent thing with a glass pane and a thing and he's whatever he's setting up you know maybe right. he pulls lights out maybe he pulls reflectors if it's the daytime and, and you're sitting there watching him pretty much build a, a machine right so he's building it and you're looking at him and maybe he's talking to you maybe he's not right and then afterwards it's that and you're sitting there and maybe he's got two fit, like plates of film right so you're like I mean, this is the photograph. And it's not like, you know, like you're not going to post it anywhere, right? There's no mechanism for it. So you don't know what this photo's for. You don't know where it's, I mean, you don't really know where it's going. This is probably the only photograph you ever have in your life, if you even get the photograph, right? So this person is documenting something. It's almost like if someone came to you and said that the Smithsonian came to your house to take a photograph of you and your family. Like, how would you want to be in that? You'd pick what you were going to wear different. You're like, this is going to be in a museum for like all time. And so I feel like just people and then, you know, maybe like their concept of what a photograph even was and how it was going to be like, you know, they didn't know. So they, they would just come and they would just be ready. And I think the photographers would just tell people, OK, we'll stand like that and just get it perfect and be right and be cordial or, uh, or just to be proper. And it, it, just, it had a heavier weight kind of to it. So we look back at some of these older photographs. And you're like, yeah, there's this guy, you know, or this chief. And, you know, there's two photographs of him ever. Like, that's it. Right. So, you know, but now there's this almost there's almost this disposable you know, nature of a photograph. There's so many just click, 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 click. OK, it doesn't matter if I don't like it, I can toss it away. You know what? You know, I'll smile in it. We'll, we'll snap a shot. Um, you know, but and I, plus I also think it's connected to just the way that we see images. Like we want people to be happy you know, all the time. We want to feel that they're happy. We want people to think that we're happy. We want people to think that we're enjoying ourselves and that. So it's a part of just, you know. People can't just be, not even necessarily somber. They just can't, you know, we can't be con- you know, contemplative and, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, what? What's wrong? Are you all right? Mm. It's like, I'm just thinking, man. I'm just, you know. So it's a, it's an interesting kind of, um, it's an interesting kind of situation. I mean. So you try to essentially like blend into the background so that what the photo you're taking is natural so that you're kind of like an invisible part of, of the world. Exactly. You know, I mean, I, I don't, 
like I've developed various techniques, like new techniques of shooting out of traveling the world. So traditionally speaking, I'm, I'm, I am a commercial photographer. Portraiture is really mainly like my, my thing, but uh, commercial photography, fashion, things like that. So, you know, when you're working for a brand, they generally have an idea of what they want. I mean, to an extent, but for the most part, you know, like, okay, we shoot it, we get what I want, we're happy this. People know that you're taking their photograph, mm-hmm. you know, and you're either directing them to be more natural or less natural. Or, okay, mm-hmm. pose here, do that. When you're taking pictures of people, like I said, you're, it's like uh, it's like measure, like scientific measurement. You know, like the very nature of measuring a thing changes mm-hmm. its essence mm-hmm. in a way. So you know, mm-hmm. so you can never like you stick the thermometer in in the water. You know, just the aspect of doing that subtly still changes that. Sure. You know. If it's a smaller piece of water and it's a bigger thermometer, you might, and it's cold, you're like, well, you just dropped it a certain amount of temperatures or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, so I've developed new techniques to take pictures, either A, get quicker, either uh, to make it less obtrusive. So I, I use this smaller lens, a pancake lens. It's super, I mean, it's super small. You know, and some people might be like, the quality isn't or whatever, but if I'm in a place, like, I don't want them to feel like I'm taking their picture. I don't want them to, not that they, not know that I'm taking their photo, but by the time they either know or they felt it, it's already done. Like it's you know, it's like a finger prick. You have to think like, man, no, I don't want the shot. It's done already. Mm. You know, so you know, so I I'll shoot with my thumb instead of you know, if you put that camera up to your face. You know, plus, I'm six foot one, right? I'm six foot one. I'm African American. At the end of the day, like I'm a male. I'm not that small. So you know, like I'm not. 4'11", you know, mm-hmm. like a, a thin woman where, you know, it's like, oh, okay, you know, like they, they notice, but they don't really care. Mm-hmm. Like, who's that dude taking photographs who's taller than most of the people around here? I stand out. I definitely stand out in India. It's quite obvious I'm not Indian. And so, you know, when you're doing that, it's like, okay, how can I get that? Click, 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 click. Or we were riding around on the bike, you know, like, like I started taking pictures with my left hand under the camera and pushing it from the other side and then shooting on the bike because... Like, I can't shoot with my, they don't, by the way, they don't really make left-handed cameras, mm. you know? I mean, like, $30,000, $40,000 cameras come in both ways. But like, it's a conspiracy, you know, bro. Exactly. Yeah, the whole know. world set up against you know, left-handed people. You know? I mean, so, like, if, you know, if you've got a camera, it's right-handed, you know? So, but, but a motorbike, <laughs> the gas is on the right. It's <laughs> so with my right hand. So I can't shoot and push the gas at the same time. So if I take my hand off the gas and I go to shoot, I'm slowing down. But if I'm slowing down, I've got Balinese dudes behind me. Mm. Like, like, yo, like you're slowing down. Let's go. We got moves to make. So I've got a, so I'm shooting it now with my left hand. I'm pulling it across my body and still riding. And I'm like, you know, hitting people. That's some extreme you know, photography, bro. You know, it's, <laughs> so I, I mean, I developed that while on a bike, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> on like your you know, second day learning trying to, how to fo- ride a try bike. To, awesome. Trying to follow you. So this is like, like, I don't know if people really understand this in context. It's like, you know, you're, you're on a motor scooter, like in, on, a, on a two-lane road, which is, you know, it's technically a two-lane you know, road in the sense that you know, there is a side, but the side is really subjective. And so... You know, the, then there's the there's the left lane of the lane, and then there's the right. I mean, there's the left side of the of the left lane, and then there's the right side of the left lane. Mm-hmm. You know, and the left side of the left lane is really for slowing. You know, for slower riding. You know, turning if you're turning in that direction. The right side is pretty much for overtaking and moving faster. Mm-hmm. And you know, so this is happening. So it's not like you're in the states where, for the most part, people are waiting their turn. You know, yeah. it's not rude like no turn. You know, they're passing you. And you don't really know, you know, so you can't weave in your own lane. Mm. You know, you're not weaving across the lane. You can't weave in your own lane. Mm. 
because a dude's coming, you know, and he might hit, hit the horn just to let you know, hey, bro, like I'm over here, right? And you need to, you know, so if you, and if you crash into him, it's your fault. So you're doing this, you're on the road, boom, you're doing all that. You're, then you're following somebody. So you got to see what they're doing. Anything could happen. A truck could come out, he could slow down. While you're holding this camera, while you're trying to, you know, steady this motorbike, <laughs> and you're trying to like shoot someone in focus and like time it right without looking through the lens, right? Mm-hmm. So you're really kind of shooting it from the hip. So it's some, it's actually some real cowboy type stuff. But yeah, so you know, it's yeah. But that's actually a question I had, like, because more than other art forms, like technology has altered art forms. It's altered music a lot. I mean, both the production of music and especially the business of music. You know what I mean? The streaming. But, I mean, a camera was something that not that many people had. Even 10, but definitely 20 years ago. You know what I mean? Like, And so now in the age of, you know, iPhone cameras and Instagram, everybody's a photographer. So, I mean, in a certain sense, it's like, I don't know. Do you feel like that alters the art form? I mean, it does. I mean, but like for me, that doesn't bother me. I mean, maybe it's because I came from a technical background or maybe, you know, because, you know, I mean, technology has kind of pushed everything forward. And, you know, I mean, I don't think it's altered it necessarily in, in a, in a, I'm not going to say, I don't think that it's all bad. You know, I mean, I think, I think there's, there's good aspects to it and I think there's bad aspects to it, but I feel like on a, on a broader sense, it's more good than bad because more people are exposed to photography and more people appreciate photography in and of itself, even just out of the fact that maybe they take crappy pictures. Those were before they might think, oh, I can do that. I can do that. I can do that. As long you know? as they realize they take crappy pictures. You know? <laughs> I mean, you know, if, if all your friends and everybody else is taking crappy pictures too, then you won't think so. And then you run across someone who doesn't and you're like, oh, yeah, I'm definitely not that good. You know, I mean, you know what? But I guess it's almost like, like rapping, you know, like, you know, it came out and everybody was like, no, I can kick a verse, you know, like if, you know, if you're around a group of people and look, you know, like I do sorority of fraternity events and, you know, you know, not to, you know, not to necessarily racialize it, but, you know, like you have groups of just kind of like all, all white folks in the States and, you know, and you listen to them it's like, no, 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 check it, check it out. Look, I got it, bro. And you listen to it and you're like, that's absolutely horrible. It's like the worst Track rhyme. Yeah. I'm like, yo, that's like, that's the worst rhyme I've ever heard. Like. It's not good, you know? But, like, you're around your really crappy, rappy friends. So, like, to them, right. that's the best that you... You guys freestyle. That's the best mm-hmm. your group came up with. So, you're like, no, like, like it rhymed. And I'm like, technically, <laughs> you know? But, like, if you get exposed to other people that, like, you know, okay, right? So, you're in the right circles. Now, you're like, oh, wait a minute. That's not good. I got to get better, right? And so, you know, in a, in a, in a way... It's 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 kind of like the you know the exact same thing. It's like okay, if if you're around all your friends taking selfies and iPhone pictures, then you might think, oh my god, that's a really good photo, right? Then you start meeting some people who actually take pictures, and then you're like, mm, actually, my photo's okay, you know. But then you got some. But then on the flip side, you've got some people that man, they got some really. I mean, some just they're just regular folks. They're not. Like, they don't really consider themselves photographers. And you look at their work and you're like, that's amazing. Like, how'd you do that? You know, they don't do it for a living. Oh, I just shoot it for fun. And their work's amazing. And so I just feel like on one instance, you know, it's given regular, a lot of regular people access to kind of photography and they can capture their world and 
It gives us more insight. And on the other hand, you know, it's given people that, you know, the aspect to just make really bad work. So, yeah. you know. I guess, yeah, technology is a great equalizer because, yeah, it wraps the same thing. Like before, you had to get to get in a studio, you had to get signed to a label. Studio time was precious. Now it's just like you got a studio on your iPhone, basically. You, you know what I mean? Make, make that beat in GarageBand. You know, mm-hmm. pull that pull that mic out. Go, you go to the Apple Store. You come out. You know, you're, you know, you Andre. You think you Andre three thousand now? You are making beats? You know, you on the track? You're like, you know, I got I got the new Mac. You know, you got the the iPad Pro. You know? Yeah, it's weird. Just <laughs> the idea that we live in, where there was certain people who there was a very select group of people that were like artists, record. You know, that lived this lifestyle. Before performing and recording very few people that are like models and or even photographers for that matter in you know any there's very few specialists in any field and now like everything's been collapsed and everyone's like an instagram model and an instagram rapper and a freaking instagram you know photographer and like it's just a trip but on the same level i mean part of it's good because it levels the playing field and then those that are dope I guess they'll rise to the top. I'm not sure if I'm convinced of that because a lot of stuff just gets drowned out. I mean, you know, until until you have to do it at, at any type of serious level. And that's when, see, that's that's when you really start to, you know, like you're talking about, okay, getting on stage, right? Yeah. yeah. A lot of funny dudes in school. Mm-hmm. A lot of funny dudes telling jokes, you know? And you know what? And like, you know, and what if, what if their set was, you know, like when in, Instagram video came out, right? Okay. Uh, you know, it's like 10 seconds or whatever. Okay, now it's a minute, right? But let's say their set's a minute. Let's say that, you know, like I'm an Instagram comedian. All I need to be is funny for one minute. Cool, right? You might be amazing. Oh my God, I have 100,000 hits and views and whatever, right? And then you're like, get on that stage. For an so hour, you got, yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Then you notice real quick, mm, I don't really have what it takes to like sustain a group, a crowd, yeah. this. Or I just got to work at this. Yeah. You know, you know, or, or maybe, maybe you soar, you know, maybe... Maybe you swim. Maybe you're like, oh, shoot. You know, turns out I can, you know, let me not drown. I did all right. And so, you know, it, like, that's the thing. It's, it's so long as we, we're not seeking any type of, like, serious nourishment from art. So long as we're not, you know, like, we're still in the superficial. We're just, like, you know, like, we're snacking. You know, we're kind of art snacking. So long as that's happening, that's cool. These people can make, like, little tapas meals and they can make, you know, little, little, appetizers and it's great what do you mean people just making art for fun you, you mean? know well it's just like we're not really like ingesting it you know like we're looking at little small pieces of it or you know okay for instance like to be an instagram like to be a photographer successfully on instagram is not that hard the reason being is because you don't need to post 15 20 pictures of the same thing i just need one so if i was so if somebody said hey look yo come to bali and i just need you to get three photos i can literally just like sp- you know pray and spray like i could just I'll probably find three photos that I can tweak and this and that. And they'll be like, dope. It's amazing. You know, I love it. But if somebody said, look, I need you to give me like a collection. Like I come back with a hundred photos, you know, different. Matter of fact, it's like, okay, how many people made a single, right? Okay. You rocked a single. I got it. And I got blessed the mic. Boom, That was killer. Mm. 16 bars. It was like Mm. the best I ever did it. Right. And then they're like, okay, I need an album. So it's like, okay, well, how long is that album? Give me okay. Well, it's gonna be fifteen tracks on the album. Okay, but I need thirty. Yeah. To you know, like what? I gotta do this thirty more times. Like, right. uh oh. <laughs> For sure. You know. So 
it's kind of like that, you know. But if if we only listen to singles, you know, but some somebody's gonna want an album. Mm. Somebody's gonna be like, you know what? Let's bring albums back. Let's so like that's a that's so it's a weird, you know. And and as tech, like I said, as technology changes, you know, Instagram's gonna then change, right? So even that platform, right? Those people are gonna get, you know, they're gonna get. It's like like they're building their houses on the beach, you know, right there, right? And the tide's not in right now, mm. and that's cool, right? You know, and they and they built it, and their house is up fast. It's like, oh, it's up, boom! It wasn't that high, it wasn't this? It was on the beach, right? And we're out here. You know, other people are out here, like we're like further back, like you're right. But our, our ground's hard, so we gotta like, boom, chop into it and try to whatever, and put bamboo and just try to build it. And it's taking a long time. And they're like, haha, your house isn't that nice, and blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. But okay, right? The mm-hmm. tide's gonna come in, you know, and it's gonna change. It's all gonna be different. There's gonna be a new person on the beach, right? But meanwhile. You know, like what we can weather kind of that tide. And so, you know, that's a, you know, that's just kind of how I look at it is that, you know, you know build, it, build it out of a, build your house out of bricks and not out of sand. So what predominantly type of photographs are you doing now? You said you were doing commercial stuff. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I still do, I do a lot of stuff for nonprofits and brands and I do a lot of fashion stuff, you know, but, but I guess kind of traveling has really exposed, exposed me to a whole new, you know, kind of world. And so. I just like traveling that stuff. I just shoot it for fun. I just want to capture that, you know, just where I go a place. Because then, you know, then it gets back into the places I've lived and the neighborhoods and, you know, black Americans and things like that, where, you know, the people have never been out of, I mean, forget leaving the the country, you know, like we're talking about people never left their state. You're talking about people never left their coast. People never left their state. People never left their city. People like they don't even leave their neighborhoods. And so, you know, you're you're going to Bali, you're going to Indonesia. Cats don't even know where Indonesia is, right? Like you talk, cats don't even know where stuff is in Europe. So you're going to a place and then you're bringing something back for them to visually see. But not just any old photo. It's like it's an essence of it. They're like, this almost doesn't even look real. And just that seeing that photograph, right, it might, it might ignite something in their head. It might just kind of like, you know, tease tease the excitement and like you know what maybe i want to go this guy i know went came back he showed us this stuff maybe it's but maybe i can go maybe it's possible or maybe maybe you know what it's maybe i'm not gonna go to bali you know but maybe i'll go to the west coast you know maybe i'll check out california that beach looked dope let me go there and so you know a lot of the that's why for me like even taking the photographs of a place it's like i really want to capture what it feels like to almost live there now what it feels like to visit, because yeah. I'm not really a tourist. I don't really tourism, no, yeah, yeah. you know. And that just, you know, it's it's a totally different way to use my camera, um, you know. And it, I mean, it really makes me appreciate, like, you know, if I when I go back to Baltimore or whatever, just like seeing droves of African Americans is not really a normal thing around the around the United States, you know, or just like corner chicken spots, and you're just like there's an affinity, just to, you know, dude. You know, even the dude selling weed on the corner, you know, just the language people use, you know, the accents and the slang. And, you know, it's just, you're like, wow, it's, it's special. It becomes special all of a sudden. Just the ordinary becomes. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. that's definitely true. I mean, when you mention like, because we just get attuned to our surroundings and then things are no longer surprising. Like everything is just mundane. It's like, yeah, I know that. Chevron on the corner. I know that McDonald's there. I know the movie theater there. You know what I mean? It just becomes mundane. Mm-hmm. 
And we're creatures of habit and we get in patterns. And so then it's just like you're plugged in, you know, you're kind of on autopilot. And uh, especially for most people that are plugged into some nine to five, you know, especially if they don't love it, you just like, just to get through it, you got to kind of put yourself on autopilot. You know what I mean? And, uh, and the thing about travel is it breaks that monotony. Like all of a sudden, because everything's new, even like the things that are mundane, like just each street is new and the faces are new. And especially when you're in like a place that's quite foreign culturally, like the religion is different or the, the spices, the smells, the sights, everything. It's like, wow, there's so little that's familiar. And what I find is cool is one is it makes you like heightened. You're aware, like all your senses are heightened. And then also... You know, it it gives you a little bit of a, I mean, the best thing about travel for me that a lot of people don't realize, because people think, oh, when you travel, you see the world and you get to learn about other cultures. Yes, but that's secondary. The actual primary benefit that I find is that you learn about your own culture and your own received tradition and what you didn't even know. Like, oh, we do it like this. They do it like this. You know what I mean? Like they say about a language that it's like each language, embedded in each language is a worldview. Mm -hmm. So Hmm. if you speak a language, you're actually seeing the world through a different lens. For instance, and it's definitely true when I learn Arabic. I mean, I'm still learning. But like when I speak in Arabic, I think differently. Hmm. And Grace, sister here, was saying, you know, because she speaks English and Indonesian. Her mom's Indonesian. And she was just like, because Indonesian is a, like the way they talk is very like soft mm-hmm. and very like chilled out. And I mean, it's a very simple grammatical language. There's no like tense. Mm-hmm. There's no conjugation of verbs. There's like no, you know, male and female things. There's not even like, there's not even really plural. Hmm. Like orang is is person and orang orang is people. You just say it twice. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but point being is she was saying like when she speaks Indonesian, everything about how she sees the world, how she acts, her body language changes than when she speaks English, which is she also speaks fluently. She, lived, she grew up in London. You know what I mean? So point being though is that not only languages but cultures, worldviews, civilizations, they have embedded with the, within them paradigms and perspectives, and understandings, mm-hmm. unquestioned assumptions, you know, how people do things. Um, and until that you are shown that other people do things differently, you wouldn't realize. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. You definitely, I mean, you know, it definitely teaches you about yourself, you know, because, you know, Especially if you go to a place that's vastly different, you know. I mean, you know, if you come from America and you go to a relative, you know, if you go to Canada, you know, it's a relative Western nation and it feels similar, but you actually notice very quickly, you know, if you're that wow, I'm a very American, right? Yeah, because it's so similar, the differences do stick out, right? Wait a minute, you know, or you know, you go to a place and you know, you're just trying to figure out simple, simple things, and I mean, it does make you either question or validate or whatever. Why are we doing that? Wait a minute, these people are doing something different, you know, wait. It's working for them, you know, so, 
you know, so you start reevaluating aspects of your own life and your own identity, and you start thinking, you know, okay, you know, there's other options, and you know, it's 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 definitely. I mean, it's a you know, it either makes you appreciate the things that that work, you know, and it makes you almost kind of you know, it loosens your grasp on the things that do, that don't work, you know. Whereas maybe before you wanted to hold on to them just because they're an aspect of your identity because they came from you, but then you go to other places where you know they might not even care about it. I mean, think about it. And so by going to that other place, you know, you're able to almost, you're able to let go of things that don't necessarily serve you or serve your interest. Um, you know, and going to another country is kind of a, you know, it's not, extreme's not the word I want to use, but it's kind of a more, you know, more expansive way to do that. But even inside the United States, for instance, just going to another state, you know, you become 18, you leave, let's say, I use Baltimore because that's where I was living. You leave Baltimore and you go to, you know, Oakland, you know, you go to Santa Cruz or San Jose, that's a, to- there's a totally different cultural narrative. And so you can let go of certain things from there. Maybe didn't, you didn't need and pick up new things. And so, I mean, it's definitely, you know, uh, it's definitely, it definitely changes you. You come back different. And that's what's, that's what's tripped out. Like, you can't even see your own world the same. And people are like, you know, you come back different. Yeah, for sure. And that's one of the things that, like, yeah, exactly what you say is, like, especially, you know, like, in America, black people, people of color, you know, um, in certain ways, in America, you're a second-class citizen. But if you leave America with that blue passport, you're in the 1%. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you're just like, yes, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, right this way. You're going through the lines, you know what I mean? You can get in anywhere without a visa. Yeah. You don't have to. You know what I mean? And that blue passport is like the golden ticket. Like you won the lottery. But people, if you don't leave, you wouldn't know that necessarily. You wouldn't. You wouldn't know. You wouldn't know uh, that it's that, that that it's gold. You know, in other places. You know, and you know, you get to other places and you start looking at what your dollars worth, mm-hmm. connecting to that, and you know, you're like, oh, I mean, that's like you said, that was the story that you know. And Zig said about, you know, went to this restaurant. <laughs> she, she she went to this re- you know this restaurant, and there was a, uh, it, was a it was like the best brisket that she'd ever had. You know, it was in, in Indonesia. It's amazing restaurant. It was great. And uh, she asked the the guy who was making it, you know, had he ever had it? And you know, and it was you know, I forgot how much she said it was. It wasn't like stupid expensive, you know, in relation to. You know, maybe it was $30, you know, maybe. Mm-hmm. You know, she was the best brisket I ever had. You know, she, she has it. And uh, so she asked, you know, had he ever eaten it? He looked at her like, you know, he's like, no. You know, he's like, I've never had that. You know, he's like, I can't eat that. You know, and he's like, that burger, that sandwich, that's like my rent. Like, that's how mm-hmm. much my rent costs. He's eating, he's eating like a dollar a day worth of food. You know, so 30 exactly. days, that's you know, a month. Exactly, you know, we're out here. It's a month you know, worth of food. So to us, you know, like we, you come to a place and you realize, you know, you got a blue passport and that dollar, man, like you're balling. You're yeah. like a, like a king of a place. You know, you're you're rich, like a rich Saudi. You know, you got oil money, basically. Mm-hmm. You know, but like back at home, you're like, man, I'm trying to pay my rent, I, man. I'm, yeah, you know, and that's the thing. Like people on. say, oh, you travel, yeah. Well, that's a privilege, and to a certain extent, yeah. But it's like. The privilege actually is time in America. 
Like a lot of people just don't have the time to travel because you don't get a lot of time off. You know what I mean? Like that's the thing that you need. Exactly. Uh, I'll agree with that. But as far as money, it's like, you know, yeah, if you stay in the Four Seasons and you're like staying in resorts, it costs a lot of money. But like, you know, how I travel, how you travel, like we're trying to have an authentic experience. We're not trying to like be sequestered away from the locals and some like exactly. all Western resort experience. You know what I mean? So like if you live like, you know, the locals and you don't even have to live all the way like that. You know what I mean? My point is that like it, I mean, two G's goes a long way here. You know what I mean? Like in Indonesia, like I couldn't spend a thousand dollars a month if I tried. You know what I mean? And it's like, you know, that's what? That's like six pair of Jordans. That's like three pair of Kanye's or something. So like, you know, if you think like, I can't afford to go travel, that's some rich people stuff. It's like, just reprioritize. That's that's shared rent in like a three bedroom house, you know, like in, in in somewhere, like in a not sketch neighborhood in L.A. You know, that's a closet in San Francisco. You, you know, me? like you get this closet and you can crash on the couch for a thousand dollars a month. Yeah. Right. Bro, like, I knew I had to get out of the bay when there's literally a dude who pitched a tent in his backyard in San Francisco and was renting it for a G a month. Like you can use the bathroom. You stay inside you stay in the tent and you get to use the restroom inside the house. I was like, gotta go. Exactly. <laughs> You're like, you know, like I could on a villa, you like, like a straight like three four houses, you know, and that's it's it's like like you don't. It's just stuff we convince ourselves that we need because you know we're we're looking at it from the prism of where we're at, and so you know and that's like I said, yeah, and there's this thing you know and like the center for Bali's a center for it, Chiang Mai Thailand is a center for it, a few other places, it's something that they call digital nomads, mm-hmm. right. You're probably up on it. It's this idea that, and it's mostly young people, mostly people in their 20s, actually, at this point. And basically, they're graphic designers, they do other jobs online, whatever it is. They don't need to physically be in a place. Some of them are like freelance. Mm -hmm. Some of them work for companies, actually, but they don't need to physically be Mm -hmm. there. And so, say you do freelance work for some company in San Francisco. All right. If you're in San Francisco, your rent is two G's a month. At you know, at le- at least easily more. Even if you're sharing a spot, fifteen hundred minimum. That's crazy to find that. So you could be in Chiang Mai, or you could be in Bali, or you could be a bunch of other places. And there's co-working spaces, or you could just get Wi-Fi at your pad, and your rent is two hundred dollars a month. $300 a month, and you're eating good food every day, mom has Thai food or whatever, right, in Chiang Mai, and you, you know what I mean? Coconut you, water. It's like you can't even spend $30 a day on food if you tried. And so it's like, and people, like, it's you're a nomad because you'd be like, yo, I live in Bali for six months, and I'll go to Thailand for six months, and I'll go, let's see where to next. And... It's funny because the tax laws haven't even caught up with these people. Because <laughs> they're like, well, where do you live? And I don't live anywhere. Like, I live everywhere. You know what I mean? 
And it's like Yasin most definitely his whole thing, his whole thing, a country called Earth, you know, and him just dipping out of the States. And um, I think in this globalized world now, you know, this idea that, yeah, I'm from a place, I'm from a country, but this idea of like global citizenship, you know, Dustin Cron, Life Beyond Borders, he has this, you know, this thing. And it's like, there's so many people, especially young people who grew up in the internet age and who are connected to people all over the world and who share interests with people all over the world. And now it's like you may have share interests in some subculture that you're into. You live in San Francisco, but you, you know, share interests with someone in Tokyo mm-hmm. and more, way more than your next door neighbor in mm-hmm. San Francisco. And so this like, there's actually like some digital tribe thing going on where people are like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, coalescing around non-physical things. You see yeah. what I'm saying? Like, it's not like we're a tribe cause we're from this area on the map, mm-hmm. like this piece of dirt, you know what I mean? And I think for young people, like, it's it's a lot less important, like, this idea, like, I'm an American. Like, I think m- most young people are like, eh, whatever. Like, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> like, like the more, you, the more you meet, you know, the more your, your circle diversifies, you know, then you start to, you know, everyone's from somewhere. You know, everyone's got their own norms and their own things. There's an aspect of you having to kind of table some of that not being either not proud of it or whatever, you just have to table that because of the fact that, you know, it's not irrelevant, but it's not, it's not as purposeful, you know? Me being American is great. Movies, TV, this, all, whatever it is that means to be, but how does that help, you know, you know, being a part of a group, whatever that is, you know? You're like, oh, we're going to do it. Like, you know, this is not, this is not the space race, you know? <laughs> you know, like, you know, we're trying to work together. We're all trying to do whatever it is. You know, you've got people, They've got great things in their country. They've got problems in their country. You know, we've got problems in our country. We've got great things in our country. And it's like, I'm just no longer interested in fighting battles for like large, for large swaths of land, you know, you, like, feel me? you know, and not like, and not, not even like, like to have it for yourself, but for yeah, some yeah, like, random for, for governmental yeah, body, I'm just like, you know what, like, I'm not fight some other kid in another I'm country. not taking in your beefs. You know what I'm saying? I'm not going to beef with some guy. You know what I'm saying? In 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 Germany, you know, who's just trying to like feed his family and do XYZ, you know, because some other guys most likely, you know, are in a board meeting playing chess with people's lives. Like I'm just you know what, dude? You know, we can go kick it in Bali, like where none of us are from, you know, and have a good time and not have to worry about none of that stuff. And so it's uh yeah, it's just it's a you know, it's a broader kind of thing. And one of the things like I really super respect about I guess being here and observing is like especially like up you know up north um, like Abud was like like everything's an act of worship for these you know for the people there you know like it doesn't you know, like even it's almost like even driving's an act of you know like it's an act of worship when you ride on that motorbike like they they want you to succeed they want you to win. You know, like, I want you to get to where you're going. I want you to cross the street. I want you to, you know, whatever. It's like, you know, like, just kind of don't don't jack up everyone else in the process. But, like, you know, like, we'll let you through. You know, like, I'm not trying to hit you. I'm not trying to hurt you. Mm. You know, it's, it's no worries. Like, you know, be easy. 
Like they want you to win, and so because it's tied to like a broader understanding of, of the world. Like, no, it's a problem, no problem. Look, we got that. It's easy, you know. Like, you know, like even like I caught the caught the cab or whatever, like the Uber here, you know, and the guy. These dudes were trying to like get me to do the Uber or they were the taxi guys or whatever, and I got the like the, the conversion number wrong, and so I'm thinking that they're going to charge me because you got to get used to the fact that they'll say a hundred, and it's really like a hundred k. You know, and so like off the top of your head, like, it just doesn't translate on the top of your head. So the Uber was going to be like 90K. Yeah, I think it's going to be like 90K. And then the dudes were telling me, but they, they don't really say it was 100. They were like 20. They were like, okay, yeah, like we'll take you, you know, I'll take you for like 100. Or I'll take you for like two. It was the way that they were saying it seemed like it was cheaper. Like, like the dude was going to do it almost like the dude was going to do like, uh, he was going to, the Uber was going to be like 900 K, but the Uber is actually only 90 K because mm-hmm. it's just it's too many zeros, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's not like there's a comma on it. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, there is, but there isn't. So I ended up canceling the Uber because I was like, I couldn't find the guy or whatever. I was like, this is a lot, a lot cheaper. Then the Uber guy's like, yo, I'm here, whatever. Like, where are you at? So I ended up telling the guys, I said, look, well, I'm going to wait five minutes. If the Uber guy can find me where I'm at. Okay, I'm, I'm going to go with him, if not. But I already canceled the Uber. So I went with the Uber guy. You know, he tells me, okay, where it is, GPS, you know, it's nighttime, you know. And they're like, I don't know these dudes, you know what I'm saying? I've never been to Indonesia before. I've never been to Bali. You know, I don't know how it is down here. I don't know, it's be Bangkok. I don't know how it is, right? Like, India is a little, mm, you can end up, I don't know, you can end up, Turkey, you can end up in a sketch place, you know. Uh, so, you know, we pretty much get here. Now, I don't have any uh, Indonesian money on me. So... And Uber would have charged me straight to the card. Mm. So I'm like, all right, I've got Australian money on me, though. I've got U.S. money, but i got Australian dollars. So I do the conversion. So I'm like, all right, I'll give him like 10 bucks Australian, which is more than what the Uber would have been. And he was like 200, 200K. The Uber was only 90K. So I'm like, no, nah, like the Uber says it was going to be 90, you know? And he was like, but you canceled the Uber. I'm like... You're the Uber dude. Like, what? <laughs> like, oh, no. Nah, so he was like, even though I'm an Uber driver, we're not doing it. You know what Uber, I'm saying? I'm just I'm like, your driver now. I'm like, you just convert it to a regular dude? Like, what? Like, I was like, that doesn't even, you know, like in my mind, I'm like, that doesn't even make sense, right? That's funny. You know, but, you know, so he's telling me, and I'm like, okay, like, boom, it's like 10. I'm explaining it to him, you know, and he's just like, okay, you, you know, fine. Like, like, the 10's fine. But he's not saying it like aggravated. He's just kind of saying, like, okay, almost like, like, it's not worth it to even, like, get yeah. anything up about. But then he says it so kind of like, okay, like, okay, that I'm like, whoa, 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 wait a minute now. Like, I don't, like, I don't want you thinking I'm, like, strong-arming you, you know? Because, I mean, I'm a tourist. I'm speaking English. He might be like, I can't make this guy give me 200. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, hold up now. Like, I, like, this is the reason why, like, I'm saying this. It's more than whatever, right? Like, I want you, like, I'm not che- I don't want you to think I'm cheating you. And he was like, you know, okay, you know, whatever. But I don't know if he really got it, you know? So I gave him another five. I was like, yo, here's 15 Australian, you know? I don't want you thinking I'm cheating you, mm. you know? Because he just he just seemed like genuine, you know? He was just like, okay. You know, mm. I was like, no, no, no. I don't want you thinking, like, I took this dude. This dude came from America, came all the way down here. He tried to cheat me out of this ride, you mm. know what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's 15 Australian dollars. It was like eight American dollars anyway, right? Mm. So... For a 45-minute ride from the airport, mm. like, it really was, like, ridiculous. So, you know, but just in that example was just the fact that 
you know, to him, you know, it, it, it seemed obvious after being here that this idea that he has no interest in trying to cheat somebody, not even like remotely. Like if mm-hmm. you, if you have an issue with it, it's not worth it. Yeah. You know, the money's not even worth like the weight that you were like dissatisfied with it. And so it's a totally different, you know, like, yeah, no, it's deep. And if you don't travel outside of America and you're in an environment where people are trying to get over on each other and there's road rage because you got to defend yourself and you're like, hey, watch out, you know, and like there's this kind of like just natural aggression, man. Like I remember I was in. I was out here in Southeast Asia for like a year. Oh, no, I was not not a year, like eight months. And then I went to the U.S. I was in the Bay Area, and it was like a biker and a dude in a truck. And like, whatever, one cut the other off. And there was a bunch of, <laughs> and like screaming and like, you know what I mean? Out the window at each other. And I'm just like, I started laughing because that literally would never happen here. Would never, not like less, like would never, because they don't look at the world that way. There's no concept of like, but me, there's no concept of, but I have to assert myself. Like, it's just like, oh, you went like, hey, it worked out. Like you didn't hit me. You kind (laughs) of cut me off, but that's all good. You know what I mean? And like, we forget, man, that it's just like that. Like, and the same thing when I travel, like. You know, when I was like 21 and I went to Yemen and I was, you know, studying with some of these great spiritual masters and just saw people in the environment and how generous people were and how like, oh, hey, you're here. Like if you walk up to someone drinking tea or eating, they'll be like, here, join us. Like you don't know them. A stranger. Like can you imagine in America, like you're just eating on the street, like at a restaurant and someone walks by like, you want to join this idea, like, well, soup, someone's walking by, they might be hungry. You can't, you literally, it's a shame for you to not do that. And just the level of like selflessness and the, the way people just go out of their way. Like the other day, here in Bali, I was I was looking for something. I didn't know where it was. I said, hey, where's this thing? And I pull up to this, these people, you know, they have this little like warung, little like local sh- uh, food shop. And I was like, where is it? And they're like, oh, it's over that way. You go that way. And I was like, wait, so what do I do? Like, I I could have figured it out if they would have just like, but dude goes, just wait. Hops on his bike and go and shows me. And it's like, you know, whatever, five blocks away. And so he's like, here it is. And then he just goes back to his restaurant. You know what I mean? And I was like, dang. Okay. <laughs> you know? Um, but that's just the spirit. Like, and I think part of it, there's just not a competitive spirit here. There's more a communal spirit. Yeah, It's like we're in this together. Yeah, And I think that's really lost for some reason in America, in the West, in a lot of places where, and, you know, maybe it's just the ethos of America. It's like capitalism. We're all, you know, we're all against each other competing. Um, but there's just not this idea here. We're not competing. Like we're in this together. We're cooperating. Maybe they don't have a guilty conscience. Mm. You know, I mean, I feel like you know when you kind of colonize people's land and kind of like jack them for it, kind of swipe some people and then bring them to work on it, and then you know those people you swiped are still there, 
you still kind of remember that stuff. And the people whose land you kind of jacked are kind of still there. And, you know, you just, it's like, you just don't know, like, are, are these people trying to pay me back yet? Like, I don't even think it's that. I think it's, uh, like Gandhi said, he was talking about the structural thing. Like, he was like, we can't be mad at these British people that are coming over in these, like, managerial jobs of the colony to colonize us. Mm-hmm. Because they're just, it's a structural problem. They're just, uh, they, you know, they're just a cog in a machine. They're actually victims. That's what his, he was really emphatic. They're victims. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They may be the aggressors upon us, mm-hmm. but they're also victims in the structure. You see right. what I'm saying? And so, most people, I don't think, they even, like, well, think I, about Well, that. so I don't necessarily mean... It's, it's not it's not a conscious it's not a conscious thing right it's kind of like it's a it's almost a transfer guilt and it's not it's not guilt in the sense of that they're like oh my god we did all these things such and such it's that the very foundation and the very system of america as a country mm-hmm. is founded on those things and i feel like the people who are pretty much at the top the one percent like 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 they know like i mean if if you have one percent and that's more than all the wealth of the 99% of the people below it. Like, eventually, like, th- there's a reason that you, you structured it in a way. It's to protect yourself. It's like, why do you need to aggregate that much wealth? Why do you need to whatever? For whatever the reason. It's why you don't know who they are, you know, because people then start complaining about it. And so I feel like, in, in a way, the system is structured to make everybody else adversarial against them, each other. And because of that, because it's like, well, look out for that guy. and Look out for that guy. Because that guy wants your stuff. And that guy wants your stuff. And, mm-hmm. you know... And it's to, to confuse, part of it, I think, is to, is to confuse the fact that perhaps, maybe, well, you know, this guy maybe doesn't want your stuff. Or maybe he only wants your stuff because he doesn't have anything. And you, you think he wants your stuff because you don't have anything. Because these people actually have everything. And so, you know, they want, but here, you know, maybe, you know, everyone's, you know, okay, that guy's got a house. He's got food. He's got whatever, whatever. Do you not have, you know, a house and some food or whatever? Okay, look, hey, can we... Can, can we make sure that he's got a house and some food and some, you know, and some stuff? And so for the most part, you know, so I say like there's not really a collective guilt across the community to kind of say like that we've got a like a legion of people that don't have anything. So, you know, they're like out to get us in a way or we need to like keep them at bay. Mm-hmm. They're like, OK, you know. This, this guy's got so it's a weird you know mm-hmm. but in the states you you feel this almost this disparity in the mm-hmm. sense of like you know and there's just pressure on everyone to like not fall off and you know what I mean it's because of the like extreme you know independence like we're all alone hmm. you know it's kind of like a the philosophy behind it like we're but yeah I mean uh, you know like all these happiness studies and mental health studies are showing like instance they've done a lot of studies on you know mexicans that live in mexico in small villages you know essentially in poverty compared to like u.s standards but then they they come to america their children come to america uh all the statistical evidence shows that those those poor villagers in mexico higher happiness less mental health issues depression etc etc but then they move to America and their children have equal rate, rates of mm-hmm. depression and mental health issues as the average American. And I think, you know, like the longest study on happiness 
the Harvard study on happiness 75 years. Mm-hmm. They followed these people for 75 years. And what was cool, crazy about it is I forget, I don't want to mess up the study, you can look it up, but if I remember correctly, they followed like a bunch of Harvard undergrads, mm-hmm. but then they didn't want it to just be specific like college students, because especially 75 years ago, college was a much more elite thing. So then they followed like an equal number of people from the like inner city in Boston. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, we got these college kids, but we also have like four people in from the inner city, and we're going to like s- track happiness. And basically, they followed up for 75 years, like every year, you know, these people agreed to be part of this study. So then they wrote them every year or they communicated with them, phone call or whatever. And they reported on like a whole bunch of things. You know, how much money do you make? How many children? You know, all this stuff. How's your health, et cetera, et cetera. But it all came down to and how happy are you? And what, how do you rate your happiness? Why, what makes you most happy? You know, et cetera, et cetera. And basically, it all came out to say that the number one, well, there was actually a level at which more money didn't increase your happiness. Mm-hmm. And now $70,000. Yeah. So you're yeah. making under 70K, yeah, like you're struggling like to make ends meet. Exactly. But if you got over 70K annually in the United States of America... If you got 80k, you're not more happy. Exactly. If you got 100, you know, if you got a million, you're not more happy. But what the, what did make people happy was the value of their relationships. That they felt that they had good relationships, they were part of their community, they played a role. And of course, I read this really dope book, uh, I think Sebastian uh, Junger or something, I forget his name, but the book is called Tribe. And he's a journalist, and he at first looked at he, what started him about this is he wrote about, I think he even embedded as like a war correspondent, but then he wrote about soldiers that came home, mm-hmm. and he interviewed all of them and looked at all the studies and statistics, and he found that there was a high percentage of them that said... I don't want to go back to war, but that was the best time of my life. Hmm. That was the time I felt most alive. Hmm. I felt most fulfilled. I felt like most like I was really living. Like and then I come back here, and it's just gray. Like, what am I doing? Like, life just lost its 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 potency. And he he shows it part of his PTSD and stuff like this, but a lot of it, he he argues comes down to the fact that what he argues is that we evolved for hundreds of thousands of years to be in small bands, tribes, essentially. Mm -hmm. And I forget the number. uh, Dunbar's number is like 150 people, meaning you can recognize 150 people. Past that point, people just become a mass. Like You basically can't keep more than 150 relationships, Mm -hmm. he argues. Anyway, goes on to say that after a certain, you know, number of tribes tend to split off because they're like, all right, well, there's too many of us, it's so we'll go over here, people. we're exhausting the resources or whatever. So we're in small bands of less than 100 people for the 99% of our evolutionary history, according to the dominant theory of how we got here. Uh, and so, you know, it's like, 
we actually are unwell if we are not part of a collective and fulfilling a role. Our happiness is part of us, is, is like being needed, being wanted, having these reciprocal relationships where, yo, I'm doing something that's benefiting others. Others are doing things that benefit me. And without that, when you have hyper-individualism, like the modern West, people become sick. Like the, the, the opiate crisis, the depression, like American people are just sick in record numbers of humanity. So we're doing something wrong. Something about how we structured our society is wrong, especially considering that we have more abundance and wealth than at any mm-hmm. time in human history. So why are we all so freaking sad and depressed? Un- unfulfilled. You know? right? That's I mean, that sums it up for the most part, right? You're not living, you know, like what's that intention? What's that, imper- that purpose, mm-hmm. you know? Like we do things for the sake of doing things, you know? We live in a society in which people are famous for being famous. Mm. You know, like it's like we don't even we do stuff. We don't even know why we're doing it. You know, like this. What's the? Uh, uh, there's, there's a quote. And I don't even remember who, who wrote it. You know, it says that. Uh, um. It said. We buy things with money that we. Said, we buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't, we don't even know. like. Yeah. Like. It's this is this like we're, we're living for the optics of essentially, and we, so we don't really have like you know what, what's the purpose in that? Like, what's the point? Why do you buy this? Why do we do this? Why do we why do we have relationships with these people? You know, to impress those folks or whatever. Like, who's our community? Who's important? You know, who who matters? And you know, I mean, shoot, if you know if you're part of that unit, I mean, you think about it, man. You, if you're you're in the military, you're a soldier, you're over there, right? There is a small group of individuals that essentially you have to trust with your life. You guys trained together. You did what's name. You went over there. You were part of that unit, and you needed that. You had a purpose. You knew what you were doing. You were accomplishing tasks and missions. Mm-hmm. You were told us for you know, the better of something. You believed it was for the better of something. And you come back, and you really don't know what it was for, and you really don't know what these people are doing. Right. And you know, you know, and that's you know, I feel like you know that's why people join gangs. Yeah. You know. For sure. And yeah. I mean, I. I've listened to, to interviews with like veterans that were in the Iraq war recently. And, you know, they all say they're like, it wasn't like, like I was fighting for the brother next to me. Like that was my brother. It wasn't for my country at that point. It wasn't for anything, but just those brothers that were next to me, that trained with me, that ate with me, that slept with me. Like that was my tribe. So I was going to be on point. So he didn't catch a hot one. You know, it wasn't on some like super huge, lofty like Captain America philosophy about <laughs> saving the country. It was like really viscerally like, I want us all to go home. You know, mm-hmm. I go home, you go home. Yeah. That's that's you know, that's it, right? Boom. You know, save the man next to me. So you know, uh, so you know to bring that you know bring that full circle. Um, so when I push that button on that camera, you know what I'm saying? Like, this, I try to have this some type of purpose to it. There's some type of intention, you know? Maybe that intention is like, look, I need to take this picture because that client, so I can get this dollar, right? Or maybe it's, you know, I want to capture something or maybe I whatever. But there's some type of intention behind it. I'm not just pushing the button, you know, for for photo's sake in a, in a way, mm-hmm. you know? And so, you know, that gets all the way back to the first question you, you pretty much asked is, when I get to a place, I don't pull the camera out. You know, because there's no inspiration yet. There's no purpose, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not to just take a picture. You know? So it's like, what am I trying to take a picture of and why and what's it for? And 
who's it capturing? You know, what's that? Is that guy interesting or that woman interesting or that you know that rooster? You know, <laughs> and so that's kind of the uh, that's kind of the gist of it. You know, for, I don't know. Uh, you know, for me. Cool, bro. Well, about bedtime for me, man. It's good talking. I don't know how long we've been rapping, but I don't know. Hot minute. Know. Thank you for listening to Path and Present Podcast. If you want to support the podcast, you can do so in a few ways. One is word of mouth. People hear about the podcast mostly from people like you who listen and like it and say, I know someone who would connect with this, who would feel this, who would enjoy this subject matter. So continue to share with your family and friends. Secondly, you can subscribe, rate, and comment um, on the iTunes page of Path and Present. Subscribing means that the podcast, will, each episode will come directly to you when we release it. And rating and commenting means that it will grow and uh, come up in the iTunes rankings, which will allow it to be uh, available and seen by more people and then lastly you can support financially on patreon patreon is a site which allows people to give a small amount monthly to support um, art or any type of content and we have a path and present page on patreon the link is on our soundcloud page soundcloud slash path and present and you'll find the patreon link there and yeah, you can support there. We're greatly appreciative of it. Uh, I guess lastly, lastly, keep us in your prayers, your positive thoughts, and your moments of remembrance. And thank you for tuning in and being part of the global past and present family. One love. Not about it. Not about it. I mean, you